Sixty-four days into his presidency, Joe Biden finally has his first real interaction with the national press. However, anyone who watched it or maybe has seen clips from it since realizes that it was no real press conference, thus the title of this program tonight, the Biden press list conference. There's a couple things that went on here, and we're going to go through this point by point. But this um, this quote-unquote press conference was nothing more than a scripted theatrical event to make it appear as though Joe Biden was taking pre- uh, questions from an unbiased, uh, curious media. But the reporters that were actually allowed into this room were not unbiased. They certainly weren't curious. They all had an agenda. Maybe the only exception to that was Peter Ducey from Fox News, and he was not called on. I don't know. There were 30 reporters in the room. They asked 10 of those reporters questions. I don't know who the other 20 were. I know one was Peter Ducey. I don't know if any of the other 20 would have asked serious questions, but none of the ones that were called on did. Anyway, welcome. It's the Independence Game. We've got a great show. We're going to try to pack all this in uh, to an hour, and I appreciate you all joining us, being here tonight for uh, what would be a Friday night, but given the fact that things are a little weird still with uh, lockdowns and all of that, what better place to spend your Friday night than with us talking about politics. I'm JV. Of course, we've got Britt here and our guests tonight. Rich, he's been here before with us. And Benny, Benny's been here before with us as well. So they're both returning guests and we're looking forward to this conversation. I want to establish something right away here because um, one of the things that we had been talking about on this program for a couple of the shows leading up to this press conference was that um, Biden's schedule was absolutely void of anything. His official schedule would have one event on it uh, for almost every day for the week leading up to this press conference. So we knew instinctually because of that, that Biden was spending a heck of a lot of time uh, prepping for this, again, staged theatrical event. Uh, and here's NBC News talking about that, that, very, that very point. I'm told the president has prepped extensively for it. And as you see in the room, the reporters are socially distanced. 30 reporters and uh, plus photographers inside that room today, Master. So NBC saying there the president has prepped extensively for this press conference. Um, I don't think Donald Trump ever really prepped for press, press conferences. You know the old saying, when you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. That's what comes to mind here, Britt. When you tell the truth, when you talk about you know the things that you're doing, what you know, what you've accomplished, what your objectives are, and you just know them instinctually, you don't have to prep for that. You know those things. That's true. When, when you're leading, you know where you want to go. So it's in your head and you know where you're driving your team too. Uh, which Trump was really good at, uh, knowing what what he wanted to do. I, I have a couple things. This is, I don't know how to feel about this, JV. Maybe you can help me with this. So, uh, on the social medias, everybody's blowing up over the note taking thing. Um, I don't just want to go there, but here's China. So Biden had notes, and and I'm okay with notes, bullet point notes, but they're awfully detailed notes. Uh, he had handwritten notes. Um, very detailed uh he had north korea he had a whole book on north korea and and it looked like at times that he was reading them verbatim so having bulletproof having bullet point notes you know numbers figures just so you stay on track and you kind of get them right but literally having your how how did he know what questions he was going to get asked that's what that's what i'm curious about how did he know 
what questions he was going to get asked to have all the to have the right notes to have the right stuff written down. Um, I, I don't understand. Uh, it, it it baffles me that he doesn't. These aren't his policies, is what I'm taking away from it. He had to have notes to be reminded what the policy was. So is that his policy or not? Uh, it's an excellent question. I do want to play another clip. Now this this clip is a minute and ten seconds long. I don't think I'm going to get all the way through it, but it's very very clear. And you actually showed a picture of uh, of a, a little brochure he had, a folded card that had the pictures of all the reporters, and it had numbers on those pictures, which would have been the sequence that he was to call on them. Maybe, maybe the questions had already been submitted. But if you if you kind of watch this little montage, you see how he was kind of working through this list. Uh, okay, uh, how about Yamish? Okay, um, hang on. Uh, sorry. Oh, Sing Ming, Miss Kim. Um, let me get here. Okay, uh, um, Cecilia Vega. Um, Ken. And if you notice, he sometimes doesn't remember that he's got to look at the list to figure out who the heck he's supposed to call on next. Rich. I don't know. You know, I've watched a lot of press conferences by a lot of presidents. The ones that stick in my mind are most recently Donald Trump's, and they were very hostile events. But Trump took them head on, and he looked out into that room full of reporters, not 30 reporters, you know, strategically placed. And he would just point to the ones that had their hands up, whether it was Jim Acosta in his face or it was Peter Ducey asking a tough question, because even Fox News would ask Donald Trump tough questions. This is nothing like we've seen before, at least not recently. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think that's kind of a hallmark Trump is to, he sort of delights in the battle. He, he would uh, almost go out of his way to pick adversarial journalists like Jim Acosta. And sometimes, you know, their, their Q&As would devolve into <laughs> something other than, uh, you know, him explaining his, uh, his policy bullets. But uh, it, it seemed as though the, uh, the order or the, who Biden would pick and the order that he picked was was just as scripted as some of his responses, particularly when it came to foreign policy. He, he looked like, uh, you know, a, a president of a high school class giving a speech, you know, constantly having to look down his nose and look back up. It, it, it was embarrassing. It was. It, you, you said it was like a high. It's funny you mentioned that because um, I kind of got the impression the press corps itself was like Mrs. Thompson's fourth grade civics class, if they still taught such a thing, which they don't. Um, but Ben, I'm going to play another cut here because, you know, in addition to being scripted, in addition to having the reporters all predetermined and preselected as to who was going to be called on, um, there was a reason the reporters that were called on we're on that list and this is part immigrants of shouldn't come to this country right now this isn't the time to come that message is not being received instead the perception of you that got you elected as a moral decent man you also just made some news by saying that you are going to run for re-election i said that is my expectation so is that a yes that you are running for re-election and if you it, do if you do run will vice president harris be on your ticket Okay, so it's hard to hear hear this that final part there, but somebody, most likely a reporter, was yelling out, "Congratulations, Mr. President!" Here, Benny, Benny you've got a president who 
um, has has questions about his health, his cognitive abilities. You've got a president who hasn't done a press conference in 64 days of his presidency after taking office. You've got a border disaster. And to be fair, there are some border questions we're going to get to. But you also have things like Hunter Biden. You've got things like the spat with uh, Russia and Vladimir Putin. You've got things like looming inflation. You've got the Suez Canal backed up, which is going to cause economic havoc around the world. There are a lot of things the press could have asked Joe Biden instead of talking about what a moral, decent man he was or asking him 60 days into his presidency first term if he's going to run for a second term. It's just it seems silly to me. These aren't serious people. These are not serious reporters. No, JP, uh, they are not. Uh, first of all, uh, you probably hear the person a lot better if they didn't have a giant mask over their face uh, while they're being socially distant. Um, they still wear masks. You can't understand them all the way. Uh, second, morally decent. Um, I don't know any morally decent person that gropes a nine-year-old's stranger's front. Um, I would not call him morally decent by any means, and that's on record. The camera shows that. Um, second of all, you mentioned inflation. I want to. I want the press to actually ask him some hard questions. Um, how about the Federal Reserve um, has stopped publishing the M1 and M2 money supply, uh, which means for the first time in over 40 years, they have decided to not tell people how much money they are printing. Uh, this this should be terrifying. This is something that um, that the president um, needs to, as the head of the executive branch, um, in charge of the government. Uh, president has way too much power uh, in, in my opinion but it is what it is uh in these days these are questions that that need to be asked the president and if they're not asked it's going to simply be a, a whitewash and an embarrassment and that's exactly right and that's that's kind of my point there are so many questions that could have and should have been asked to waste time asking the president and this and this, and I only showed a clip of it the 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 question about him running for re-election was actually a, a question and then three follow-ups to that question all about whether or not he's going to run in four years and whether he thinks Trump will be the opponent and whether he thinks uh, Kamala Harris will be his running mate at that point. Um, Britt, I know you want to make a quick point. Go ahead. And I've got another cut to play after that. Okay. So I, I got, I got a clip of Chuck Todd and it just goes with these, these sycophant reporters. I'm so fucking pissed off at the, at the, at the press pool. I, I'll play this and then, and then, uh, and then I'll, I'll rant after. As president. But look, I think overall, um, to me, the big takeaway is the fact that it goes back to COVID. It's the only piece of news he intended to make, and he made it. There wasn't a single question on it, which tells you what other thing, Lester. There's clearly not any negative questions to ask. A, a press corps asks you about challenges. They don't necessarily ask you about things that are going well. COVID's going well right now, Frank. I am so effing over the media, the mainstream media, the elite media, the local freaking media. I, you know, I get in a car and I hear NPR that's on and they're lying to us. The No one's asking serious questions. My God, the, the how much money we're printing, the border, the border crisis, the problem with Russia, the problem with China, uh, the problem with the states, particularly the blue states being so over leveraged or over uh, in such debt, uh, the homeless problem that's out of control, the vets that are out of control. Um, what do you mean there's nothing wrong? Why are they not asking these questions? Because they, they've chosen a side. They're on the Democrat side. They're pushing the narrative. And I think it's because they're so 
fucking stupid in their heads. They've had it good for so long. They have no idea what the hell is coming down the road. They don't know what it's like to go through a depression like in the 20s, like my grandparents did, who told me story after story after story about always be prepared because you never know what's going to happen. This can happen tomorrow. We're on our way to it. And what's going to happen when the system blows up? Half the country doesn't agree with the other half of the country, but the half that's in charge right now thinks we're going to ram this stuff down our throat. And when we just blow up and snap and lose our minds and we're going at each other, it's neighborhood on neighborhood, house on house, family members on family members, it's going to fall apart. We're not going to have electricity. The water's going to stop running. We're not even going to be able to get the poop out of our house by flushing the toilet. It's going to be insane. And these people are going down the road. like they, they just have blinders on. My power. I want my power. I want my power. I want to go to the cool parties. I want to be... I'm, I'm so over these people. They need to ask tough questions. You know, as much as Trump was an asshole and the press was aggressive... We, the people, learned a lot of stuff from that, and that's what I want. The press needs to be aggressive and ask the hard questions, and they are not doing that right now. Um, and for anybody who's new to the program, first of all, I'll ask you to subscribe, and secondly, I will just point out that you can tell how frustrated Britt is by the speed at which he speaks. The faster he speaks, the more frustrated he is, and man, you can tell right now he is frustrated. Um, I'm gonna, uh, I, hate, I hate it. Yeah, no, it's it's, ex it's very valid, and I want to play another uh, clip here. Um, we're talking here about the border crisis, which he was asked about, but again, asked about as from the perspective of being a moral and a decent man. Is that why they're coming here? Because you're a moral and a decent man. But even with that kind of thing, this is how he responds. What he did, he dismantled all the elements that exist to deal with what had been a problem and, and has been continued to be a problem for a long time. He, in fact, shut down the... Uh, the number of beds available. But he dismantled all of that. So what we're doing now is attempting to rebuild, rebuild the system that can accommodate the, the, what is happening today. You know, it's, it's unbelievable to me. He's clearly talking about how Trump, quote unquote, dismantled the system. The difference here, and Rich, you tell me if you agree with this, the difference here is that Trump had policies in place that prevented those people from coming across the border to begin with. We didn't need all the beds. Because the people weren't coming across because the policies in place kept them from coming across, which should be the goal. It should be the goal that they stay where they're, where they're from, where they live. And if they want to come to the United States, they go through the process from there. The remain in Mexico policy, working with uh, the governments of Guatemala and other uh, Central American countries. That's why they didn't have the beds. They didn't need the beds. The crossings have tripled from year over year numbers. This is not about whether or not Trump dismantled the beds like Joe Biden is trying to say. Yeah, exactly. And um, as I said last time, I have a little bit of inside knowledge on this, but I won't go into detail how the, the catch and release program, which is uh, specific to Obama's term, and that's how, you know, so that's, that's what sort of beckoned them to start coming in during Obama's eight years. The surge under Trump, which happened in 2019, he, he did not bring that upon himself. It, was, it wasn't anything he said or did that sort of incentivized these people to uh, to get up and start making this trip. And it, when that first caravan left Honduras or El Salvador, it, it was a very slow rolling thing. You know, they were sort of tracking it on the news. And when it finally hit, yeah, it was crazy down there in, uh, in Southern California. And... Fast forward to the six months from December, you know, until June, 
he had gotten that problem under control. Actually, there were more beds available in ICE detention centers um, and HHS uh, centers for the kids than when he took office. So the fact that they didn't have anybody push back or ask follow-up questions on that because they could fact check him in real time and he was he was spreading a lot of falsehoods about the state of our immigration system um, when he took office. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost complete fabrication. In fact, um, a, a group of Republican senators actually went to the border today and we got our first look at real pictures from what's going on down there. Now, the Biden administration let one camera into a secondary facility, which is the place that they take some of these uh, minors to after they've been processed. Uh, and it's all clean and, and they're playing and they're having fun. But that's not the representation of what's really happening at the border. It's something very, very different. Um, and I, Brit, yeah, so Brit has some has some photos of this. These are some of the pictures that were sent back or, or, or put onto social media by these Republican senators who went to the border today. They were not they they were not welcome per se, but they demanded to see what was going on. They got in and they took these pictures, which are actually quite remarkable. This is a crisis, and it is inhumane. And for for the press and for the administration to be claiming that. Uh, Trump's policies were inhumane and then to deny what's happening here it's total hypocrisy and it's um, it's it's just proof of illegitimate policies that are not doing the job um, I want to move on to something else that um, that Biden said he's talking about um, what to do and how to handle these kids after they come across the border and I find this pretty interesting too because you tell me if you can actually make sense of this uh, this quote from Joe Biden, because it, it's a bit bizarre. That's what we got to act. And yesterday I asked my team, both the director of the two agencies as well as others, I asked them what would they in fact, and I asked their opinion because they're the experts, but I said, focus on the most vulnerable immediately. But there's no reason why in the next month as people cross the border, that phone call can't be made in the first 48 hours. There have to be some certitude that this is the actually mom, dad, or whomever. And there's ways to do that. There's ways to do that a little bit like determining whether or not you got the right code for your credit card. Uh, you know, what, what, what was your dog's name? code for your credit card what was your dog's name um he's talking about the fact that a lot of these minors come and they have a phone number pinned to them apparently and that phone number reaches a relative that's already in the united states or something and um so the first part of that clip he's kind of meandering through something about talking to people and telling them that they need to do something but it makes no sense and then the second part he's talking about identifying these kids and making sure they actually have relatives uh, that are actually not posing as relatives and something about credit card codes and asking about a dog's name. Ben, it's almost nonsensical what's coming out of this man's mouth. <laughs> yeah, not not much of what he says uh, makes sense, especially when he gets on that tangent where uh, he's rambling and uh, he's sort of short-circuiting. I mean, we talk about, uh, you know, remember a few years ago with Trump and the kids in cages, that whole thing, uh, the media jumped on that bandwagon and pop culture did the same thing. Have you seen the pictures of what they have now? I'm sure we've all seen them. They are shipping containers with bars, probably a window that's two foot by two foot square, tiny window 
I mean, you tell me what's worse. I mean, at that point, you have a see-through chain link fence or a prison cell, pretty much. I mean, it's absolutely disgusting. Um, and we've all seen the videos with him being a little touchy-feely, especially with kids. I mean, it's absolutely... Anyone who has children would know, looking at that, that something is wrong with that. It's wrong. It's disgusting. It's evil. It's heinous. And we talk about catch and release. It's worse than that because they're actually giving illegal immigrants who show up to the court date the papers afterwards with a one-way ticket for $1,200 wherever they want to go in the country. I also know someone in board personally processed these uh, these instances. It's absolutely disgusting what's happening at the board. It is disgusting, and uh, they've been trying to keep it a secret. They've been trying to cover it up. Uh, Britt just showed us some pictures that were taken by Republican senators who went to the border today. But prior to those pictures being released, uh, and in the, in the um, press conference yesterday, Trump was asked if he will uh, allow reporters to actually see what's going on. And this is his answer. This is very curious, too. Will you commit to transparency on this issue? I will commit to transparency. And as soon as I am in a position to be able to implement what we're doing right now. Britt, is that transparency? If you say, yeah, I'll, I'll give you transparency once I've been able to go in and, and, and have my cleaners go in and clean up the mess that I created so nobody actually knows it was happening, then sure, you can come in and take a look. Is that transparency? No, that's uh, political doublespeak BS. Um, I, I don't understand why the reporters are not hammering him right now. Um, Trump would never have gotten away with this. Uh, they would have been all over him, uh, like stink on poop. Um, it's just so disgusting to watch. Uh, and I'm not even talking about just Joe Biden himself. Uh, I'm talking about the, the administration and what they're doing down there. Um, like Ben just said uh, about the cages. I mean, they went from chain link cages to, which are kind of like, which are kind of like, uh, where'd it go? Kind of like, uh, this. You know, from kind of stuff like this to these, to these shipping containers. I mean, we're putting them in shipping containers, which is worse than cages in my mind. Um, the, the, the reality is he did not inherit a broken system. Through, through three years of Trump's administration, you can track the flow of immigrants. And it's like, you know, it's up and down, up and down with the seasons. And, you know, in the beginning with all the fighting he had, they were trying to get in before the wall went up. And then he got the wall up. But then in 2019, it's at the very peak. It's, a, it's really high. And then it's a straight line down to record lows. And it's because of the stay in Mexico policy that Trump instituted. They don't want to be, they don't want to stay in Mexico, but that's what happened. The wall was kind of completed. He gave Border Patrol the resources they need and he instituted stay in Mexico. And then Mexico started to help. Oh, and he also stopped giving the foreign aid to the southern countries that were helping the migrants come up mm -hmm. so he, in 2019 he did some things and we saw about we saw the straight line down and that's what joe biden undid with all of his crazy executive or undid all of that and said hey come on up we need your votes because i want to be in power forever um and they came and here they come i mean they're at the border patrol with biden t-shirts on i mean it's I have two questions for you, Britt. First of all, that's the second reference and the second use of the word poop tonight. So I don't know if that's your th your theme tonight or what, but that's cool. Um, but the other thing is the other night when we talked about this, you had said you had looked up, you saw some pictures show up online and you said you immediately thought it was, you thought you were looking at a bunch of baked potatoes. Yeah, that was. Did, uh, you, that was the did you coin that or did you repeat that from hearing it from somebody else? 
at that time. No, that's what I thought. Okay. I literally thought I was on a cooking show. <laughs> a cooking show website. I, I swear to God, I thought it was foiled baked potatoes in an oven. Because the media has picked up on that, and I think somehow, some way, you should start getting credit for that because I've heard <laughs> it in several places since. All right, let's change topics. We could talk about the border all night, but we don't have all night. So let's go to uh, – let's talk about um, – uh, this infrastructure bill, at least a, a portion of it. Biden is here. He's asked about this infrastructure legislation that's going to, at this point, cost $3 trillion. Wait till the Democrats um, start throwing all their shit in. It'll probably be $4 trillion by the time we're all done. But here he is commenting about it. We have somewhere, I, I, I asked the staff to write it down for me, and they did, not for this, but for a, a longer discussion. We have somewhere... Uh, in terms of infrastructure, we have we rank 13th globally in infrastructure. Uh, China is investing three times more in infrastructure than the United States is. I want to just point out a couple things. First of all, if why did the staff write this down for him for not here, but he has it with him? Obviously, it's for there. And that was a card I think you showed uh, earlier, Britt, too. Um, his China talking points talked about infrastructure there. I also want to point out that um, yeah, that's the card. I'm going to I'm going to zoom in on that. I also want to point out that. China may spend three times more on infrastructure than the U.S. That's because China has no infrastructure. They have to build it. We have an infrastructure already. So don't let that be the, the, the mitigating factor here. But the other thing, Ben, is that I agree. One of the responsibilities of the government, and I'm, I'm a fiscal conservative. I don't like see the, seeing them spend all of this money. But one of the things they do have to provide is roads, bridges, um, and some of the water systems, sewage systems, septics, all these things that are considered infrastructure. So that's true. However, if, if we need to spend all of this money on infrastructure, which in some cases there's a good argument for that, then we shouldn't be spending $1.9 trillion on pork barrel spending in a quote-unquote COVID bill. And what about all the states and local governments that are supposedly collecting taxes for roads, bridges, schools, uh, water systems? I know I pay a hell of a water bill here in Cooperstown, New York. Where's all that money going? Why are they allowed to use that in bloated salaries and bonuses for government employees and then cry poverty when it comes to having to repair the infrastructure. Ben, this something's really amiss here. It's, exactly. And it's been a miss for a long time. Uh, I remember um, back when I lived in New York, um, my father would tell me about uh, going over the bridges. We visit our family in New York City. And I, I would ask him why we have to pay taxes to go over these bridges. And he said, oh, well, that is to pay for the bridge. Well, 40, 50 years later, you're still paying exponentially more, <laughs> you know? Uh, I don't I, I don't understand. Uh, that That might be a ratchet effect, um, you know, uh, uh, instance right there. But the, the, the weird thing about, the weird thing about the infrastructure is that all of the waste, if government is to do something, it's going to take twice as long and cost five times as much. If you left it to private companies, private entities, the private sector, it would be done at a fraction of the cost and a whole lot more efficiently. And that is what you're seeing. The government likes to get its hands on, th on these things because it's a moneymaker and they are inefficient as hell. Well, you're, you're seeing that with just the space program. I mean, when NASA had the space program, um, they couldn't afford to do half of the things that SpaceX is doing um, because of the inefficiencies. In fact, they're talking about something like it's 1 20th of the cost to put a rocket into space now with a satellite, 
as for example, than it was when NASA was trying to do it. And that's what the difference between the private sector and the public sector is. There are some things that the uh, the, the private sector just simply can't do. But the thing you mentioned about bridges, I, I think it's like 10 bucks to cross the bridge to go into New York City now or something like that. It's outrageous. If you have to do that every day, that's, that's, that's crazy. And when they put those tolls in place, they said, oh, don't worry, they're only temporary, as you said, until we pay for the bridge, and then we can remove them. Well, once they're there, they never go away. Rich, this is another, this is kind of a, I don't even know what to say about this. I'm going to play this cut, and then and then we'll talk about it, because uh, this is almost with, this almost should be on Brit's train to Crazyville, this, this particular cut. It's crazy. But we can't build back to what they used to be. We have to build the environments. Are, global warming's already done significant damage. The roads that used to be above the water level didn't have to worry about where the drainage ditch was. Now you've got to rebuild them three feet higher because it's not going to go back to what it was before. Only get worse unless we stop it. Okay. okay. All right. Let's take hurricanes and local flooding away. I mean, everybody knows that, you know, sometimes you get a lot of rain and you have some localized flooding. Everybody knows that, you know, you get a massive storm coming, you know, through the Gulf Coast or uh, across Florida or whatever. You get some flooding and, and you'll get a road underwater. But I, don't, I want to go around here and then I want Rich to comment on it. Just let's go, Britt, you first. Do you know of any roads that are now submerged because of climate change? That would be no. Yeah. Benny, do you know of any roads that are now submerged due to climate change? Absolutely not. Rich, do you know of any roads in the in the United States or anywhere for that matter that are now submerged need to be raised three feet because of climate change? No, I don't. Okay, so I don't either. I, I, this is this is, seems to be some kind of fabrication. You know, maybe there's a coastal road that has eroded away because of normal erosion on the beach or whatever. I don't know. That, that's possible. But that's certainly not a justification for an infrastructure program that's going to raise all of our roads three feet. I mean, what the hell is Biden talking about, Rich? Well, you hear him bring up global warming and you know climate change, and that seems to be the pretext for, you know, taxing the hell out of us and, uh, you know, for the government accumulating all this wealth, which they're going to spend however they see fit. I live in the Pacific Northwest and every year, you know, when it rains and it rains and it rains and there's a lot of uh, roads, local roads that uh, get flooded for a short period of time. But it happens every single year. And Democrats love to blame local weather events on the, you know, the broader global climate change unless unless wow. it's colder than normal then they say oh you can't use that to judge anything oh right yeah when we have an ice storm up here we have our fraser valley outflows that happen every single year um and everything freezes over and it's wet as hell and cars are slipping and sliding all over the place but as far as you know building up roads heights it's just absurd i, I and i when i watch this live i try i tried to give the man the benefit of the doubt and think of you know yeah. okay like where exactly is he talking about but it's, i i couldn't do it yeah, I know it's it's it was impossible. All right, we're going to move topics again. I want to talk about this uh, this effort to uh, get rid of the filibuster, change the Senate as we know it, change the nation 
as we know it. Again, I will point out that the filibuster is in place not to be an obstacle, uh, just for being an obstacle's sake. It's there to protect a legislative minority from radical legislation. If you've got a bill, and let's pick any of these bills that Biden and the Democrat Congress has been throwing in our face, whether it's the COVID bill, whether it's the infrastructure bill, whether it's this quote-unquote voting rights bill, name it. The immigration bill, name it. Any of those bills should be able to be modified to the point where they come to the center politically enough that you can get at least 10 Republican senators to support it. If you can't do that, then it's too extreme. That's the point of the filibuster. But the reporters in this press pool, these 30 reporters, have a completely different agenda. They're not there to ask about the filibuster. They're there basically to demand, advise, and counsel the president on how he should be getting rid of the filibuster. It used to be that, uh, the, that well, from between 1917 and 1971, the filibuster existed. There were a total of 58 motions to break a filibuster that whole time. Last year alone, there were five times that many. So it's being abused in a gigantic way. I have never been particularly poor at calculating how to get things done in the United States Senate. So the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to, anyway. <laughs> I'm, yeah. So first of all, uh, I don't know. He just he, he he. This is one of those instances where he completely loses his train of thought. And I'm going to point this out. If you look here, um, symptoms of dementia. Number one or number two here is difficulty in communication, especially finding the right words to communicate. I'm just saying, okay, I'm not going to try to cause any controversy with that, but man. Um, but Benny, if you, if, you get, if you go beyond the fact that he loses his train of thought, wanders off and has to just stop, um, he, he, he talks about the Senate last year um, having five times or whatever the figure is, the number of filibusters as all of the filibusters between 1917 and 1972, whatever the numbers are. But that's the Democrat Senate. So he's impugning the actual party that he belongs to who's demanding the elimination of the filibuster, but they're the ones that were using it to their advantage. And I think rightly so. I think rightly so. Sure. Uh, didn't he also say in the press conference that he's been um, in, in – uh in government for 120 years or yeah, something. Yeah, like I mean, that. I'm assuming it was a joke, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. I uh, he um uh, the 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 weird, the weird thing about it, and I, I wanted to bring this up earlier. Um, I, I've heard it said. Uh, you probably you guys know this quote. There's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. When you talk when you talk about uh, the taxes and the bridges and, and the toll roads and all that, um, it's called a ratchet effect. People need to look this up. Um, the ratchet effect. Um, states that if a government is uh, viewing something as temporary, they sell it as that, but they, but they really view it as permanent. So examples of this are the federal income tax. That uh, federal income tax was supposed to pay off our war debts after World War II. We still have federal income tax. Uh, the Espionage Act, also after World War II, temporary measure, still in effect. The Patriot Act, temporary measure when terror level is at orange or red or whatever the the heck it was uh still in effect now all our text messages are all of our emails all of our communications right still in effect and now we have it under medical tyranny 
This is called the ratchet effect, and if people do not push back against this, it will just continue on and on and on and become the new paradigm. Yeah, and and there's another tax that uh, you know the, these taxes that show up on your phone bills, which are pretty high when you actually break them down. That was a temporary tax to pay for the uh, Spanish American War or something like that, and that still exists. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really quite insane. But the thing about these reporters that were asking the questions about this stuff is that they weren't asking any legitimate questions. They were actually acting more like activists, advisors, and consultants, uh, and as, as illustrated in this particular quote. It had to deliver on your promise to Americans on issues like immigration reform, gun control, voting rights, climate change. All of those right now are facing stiff, united opposition from Republicans on Capitol Hill. How far are you willing to go to achieve those promises that you made to the American people? When it comes to the filibuster, which is what Zeke was asking about, immigration is, is a big issue, of course, with, when it related to the filibuster, but there's also Republicans who are passing bill after bill trying to restrict voting rights. I want to go back to voting rights. And as Yamish mentioned, Republican legislatures across the country are working to pass bills that would restrict voting. Are you worried that if you don't manage to pass voting rights legislation, that your party is going to lose seats and possibly lose control of the House and the Senate in 2022. Uh, regarding the filibuster, at John Lewis's funeral, President Barack Obama said he believed the filibuster was a relic of the Jim Crow era. Do you agree? Yes. If not, why not abolish it if it's a relic of the Jim Crow era? you're moving closer to eliminating the filibuster. Is that correct? I answered your question. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, to follow up on the filibuster, so do you believe it should take 60 votes to end a filibuster on legislation or 51? Okay, so first of all, that last reporter is an idiot. Um, I think they're probably all idiots, but she's the leader of the idiot class there. Uh, if you had, the, if you only needed 51 votes, it wouldn't be a filibuster. So I don't know what the hell she's talking about. Um, the other thing is the, one of the reporters in there actually betrays the whole thing. She says, are you concerned that if you don't get rid of the filibuster and pass this stuff, you're not going to have the majority in the Senate and the House after the midterm elections? That's what this is all about, for sure. But not one of those reporters, not one of them. I don't remember who I left off with. Who, who did I talk to last year on the panel? You didn't come to me. I got to go to Britt. Okay. Not one of those reporters mentioned the fact that state legislatures are actually trying to clarify voting laws that were abused, stretched, and broken during the last presidential election to clarify some of these things. Not one reporter asked about the hypocrisy of the current talk to end the filibuster after the Democrats used it several hundred times during the last administration. Not one of the Reporters asked about the idea that the filibuster is actually designed to force some kind of compromise in the Senate and to protect the political minority. Not one intellectually honest question from any of those intellectually vacant people in that press corps. Was there a question in there? Uh, what do you think of that statement? <laughs> I would agree 100%. Um, I honestly go, I, I honestly feel that they just don't know. They're so young. They, they just don't know. They... They went to a liberal school. They did their journalism. Uh, they got the journalism degree and how to write on notepads, I guess. Um, they, they, they legitimately just don't know. And they don't want to know because it's their team winning, so they're happy. Um, I will. Uh, I did, I did, did this, dig this out. So uh, under Trump's uh, term, there were 314 times the uh, Democrats, well, the Senate used the filibuster, which was um, for two years was uh, under uh, Democrat control. 
Um, wait, that's not right. The Democrats were not. In it doesn't matter. The they used it 314 yeah. times during yeah, the Trump administration, times. whatever that, whatever the yeah. period was. I, 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 did, I just pulled a Joe Biden. I lost my train of thought. Yeah, you did. Anyway, you know, here's the deal. You know what? I can try and articulate this out and be an idiot, or I can just have my friend here uh, explain it all to you guys. But the American people sent us here to be their voice. They understand that those voices can at times become loud and argumentative, but they also hope that we can disagree without being disagreeable. And at the end of the day, they expect both parties to work together to get the people's business done. What they don't expect is for one party, be it Republican or Democrat, to change the rules in the middle of the game so that they can make all the decisions while the other party is told to sit down and keep quiet. The American people want less partisanship in this town, but everyone in this chamber knows that if the majority chooses to end the filibuster, if they choose to change the rules and put an end to democratic debate, then the fighting and the bitterness and the gridlock will only get worse. So if, if he's okay with it, why are we why the mind change why why the change of opinion why the oh because it's about power they want power they need to push through hr1 if hr1 goes through the democrats are in power for the next hundred years and it's all over and then we just go to war because i'm sorry half the country is not going to accept this and it's going to get ugly and it, it sucks because that's where they want us to go i don't want to go that route but what do you do when they're shoving this poop down our throats? And there it is for the third time, ladies and gentlemen. And he worked that in nicely. Um, okay, so we're going to have to move along here. We, we're already going to be short on time. Um, Biden also uh, talked about bi being bipartisan. In, in the context of talking about the filibuster, he makes these, these phony gestures saying that he wants to be bipartisan. Um, this particular statement had me scratching my head. Your old friend, Mitch McConnell, says you have only spoken to each other once since you took office. Do you see it the same way he does? Have you rejected bipartisanship? No, I haven't at all. I've been meeting. When's the last time a president invited the opposite party down at least a half a dozen times to talk about issues, everything from how we work? I'm working with a group of 20 members of the Senate right now in House on how we reestablish our ability to make computer chips and how we get ahead of the game. Okay, so first of all, Donald Trump had members of the opposite party in the White House to talk about issues. That's not something that he that is exclusive to Joe Biden. Um, but secondly, what the hell is he talking about? He's had 20 uh, members of the opposite party in the White House to talk about reestablishing our ability to make computer chips and how we get ahead of the game. Rich, what computer chips are we trying to reestablish and get ahead of the game with? And, and why aren't they there talking about immigration? Why aren't they there talking about the COVID relief bill? Why aren't they talking about HR1? Why aren't they there talking about the infrastructure thing? No, they're there talking about reestablishing our ability to make computer chips, how we get ahead of the game. Yeah, I had no idea what he was referring to in that little segment. But you rewind back to when uh, the reporter asked him about whether or not he was going to, he already had plans to run for a second term. And he there was a little... Uh, there was something that he said that he doesn't know what's going to happen in four years. And and then he added, I don't know if there'll be a Republican Party in four years. That's right. 
Now, if that is not one of the most hyper-partisan statements that any president could make, I don't know what is. We've seen this happen for, you know, like the past 20 years, just the the, the pendulum of power swinging back and forth and getting more and more and more hyper-partisan every time a different party comes into office. It's it's discouraging as hell that these guys can't seem find common ground on anything, and they're willing to use any levers of government to try to usurp the power of the opposite party. And now we're seeing that Biden is talking about removing the filibuster. Any chance that the Republicans can. And gridlock is a good thing, in yeah. my opinion. The, the, the less the government can get their thinking hands on, we're in a constant state of crisis. And going back to what Benny said uh, before, we, we're assuming racism, climate change, things like that, we're in a constant state of crisis. And that's really how the federal government in particular sort of weasels its way into everything, whether it's a Patriot Act or a a national voting legislation, national uh, infrastructure. It's, you know, whether it's climate change, whether the filibuster's racist, that's, it's crisis. Fame crisis and how they... Usurp power. Well, and Rahm Emanuel uh, so um, poignantly said, never let a crisis go to waste. And that's exactly how the Democrats governor. The, the, the Republicans had plenty of opportunities to eliminate the filibuster so they could jam through their agenda. In fact, Trump asked Mitch McConnell to do that. And he said repeatedly, no, I'm not going to do that. It's an important part of how we do our business here in this country. And it's going to remain, despite the fact it's inconvenient. Here's Biden talking about... Um, working further with the Republicans. I think my Republican colleagues are going to have to determine whether or not we want to work together or they'll decide that the way in which they want to proceed is to uh, is to uh, just uh, um, decide to divide the country. But what I know I have now is I have electoral support from Republican voters. Republican voters agree with what I'm doing. And so unless Mitch says the last thing I did, this last piece of legislation is so far left, well, then he ought to take a look at his party. Over 50% of them must be over that edge as well because they support what I did. The third reason I said I was running was to unite the country. And generically speaking, all of you said, no, you can't do that. Well, I've not been able to unite the Congress, but I've been uniting the country based on the polling data. First of all, um, he loses his train of thought there again. I mean, we're seeing this pattern over and over. Um, Secondly, to go back to something that Rich had said, he does say during this press conference, he mentions if there is a Republican Party. I mean, one of the things we do know is he's got the federal law enforcement chasing down MAGA uh, Trump supporters. Um, is that is that what he's talking about? Maybe the Trump the Republican Party is going to be outlawed. <laughs> I mean, this this is not something that it's something that two years ago I would have said you, you're crazy to even talk about. I would have been on Brit's train to Crazyville uh, talking about that. But all of a sudden, these things seem possible. Um, in that particular cut, Benny, um, he talks about having voter support, Republican voter support. The only thing he, his his whole premise is based on the fact that the COVID bill has polled well. That's it. And the only reason the COVID bill has polled well is because everybody's going to get their hands on 1400 bucks. If you ask them about any other part of that bill, they probably won't support it and they won't support Biden. But he's using 
that poll to suggest again that he's got a mandate. Yeah, that that's laughable. He says, you know, based on the polling data, I've united I've united the country. I have Republican Republican voter support. I mean, what a joke! What he is. He's a joke. I mean, you can't you cannot take every anything he says uh, seriously. He, I mean, he's being told lies, and he just continues on with that, and the media just lets it happen. I mean, the media is complicit in this, and I mean, it is it is a joke. Um, one thing that um, that Rich brought up is um, and UJV is uh, you know the, the government's you know uh, especially the liberal progressives policy would never let a crisis go to waste. Um, you're seeing that in the gut with the gun violence now, you know, um, the Supreme Court, I saw this in Forbes, they're currently hearing um, cases where they're not as constitutional to allow police to enter homes without a warrant for caretaking. That's what it's called. Oh boy. I mean, just goodbye, Fourth Amendment. You know, I mean, whatever, whatever, whatever questions they're asking him, they're all softball questions and they're all rehearsed and he has his rehearsed answers based on data that he's just that he's seeing and it's all lies and the people just eat it up like pigs at a trough they really do and we have to move along here a little more quickly um the voting rights bill came up and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this. In fact, uh, one of the things Britt and I want to do is we're going to do a special marathon broadcast uh, in the next couple of weeks. We are going to call every U.S. senator's office and we are going to voice our opposition to this voting rights bill. And we are going to ask the senator's office what their position is on this particular bill. And we're going to do that live during a stream. I hope we can do it all in one one day during business hours. We may have to cover a couple of days when we do it, but we're doing it. Um, here's Biden talking about the voting, uh, quote unquote, the Voting Rights Act. The Republican voters I know find this despicable. Republican voters. And so I'm convinced that we'll be able to stop this because it is the most pernicious thing. This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. Is there anything else you can do about it besides passing legislation? The answer is yes, but I'm not going to lay out a strategy in front of the whole world and you now. Great. A couple things there. First of all, the whole Jim Eagle thing. I don't know what the hell he saw. I think he, he thought he was, you know, a crow is this, is this big, but an eagle is this big. So it's a bigger travesty. He's talking about the Republican legislatures around the country changing or actually not changing, securing voters uh, protections and, and voter integrity. Um, but he also says at the very end, and again, quickly, he says at the very end, uh, he has a plan, but he's not going to tell us what it is. Once again, is this transparency in the Biden administration? He doesn't know what the plan is. He can't remember the plan, even if they had it written down in front of him. Um, and, and number two, they, this bill is going to be unconstitutional. The way states run their voting process it's just it's in the constitution that way it's up to the states it is if they want to change that shit then change the constitution there is a process for that going back real quick to the polling i just pulled up rasmussen right now 48 percent of likely u.s voters on their daily tracking of the president which i've been watching since ronald reagan days um 48 of u.s likely uh, voters uh, approve so he's, uh, he's only at 48 percent 48 percent that's where donald trump was at okay Donald Trump was at 48%. Well, he bounced between 45 and 48%. So he is not, if he had 50% of the Republican voters with his 100% of Democrats, he'd be at 75%. He is not there. He is lying or he just he's just blowing smoke. Um, this is a lie. Yeah, he, Rich, I don't, I don't Rich quickly, um, 
I, I think Britt is partially correct in the sense that he might not know what his plan is, but I, I read that or listened to that and heard, I'm going to try to do it by executive order if we can't get the legislation passed, but I'm not going to tell you that. That's that's what I got out of that. Well, yeah, I wouldn't put that past him, but I mean, the reason he doesn't want to lay it out in specificity is that uh, he's taking screened questions from specific reporters, but you know, if you can't go into details right now because it's being televised live. And that wouldn't allow him to uh, to push it through the filter of the uh, the legacy media, so that only certain points get out there. Uh, the, and about the COVID relief bill, one of the reasons why it has the support it does, is, like you said, you know, every uh, every American citizen's getting a little bit of a, uh, a cash betty from it. But the media doesn't. It, the legacy media is not informing the citizenry of exactly what's in this bill. So a lot of them, it's not that they don't care; it's they simply don't know. Right. They also don't know that that $1,400 is costing them $5,757. That's the price of that $1,400. Um, again, we're going to move through these quickly. Here's Biden addressing a question about North Korea. What, if any, actions will you take and what is your red line on North Korea? Let me say that, uh, number one, uh, UN Resolution 1718 was violated by those particular missiles that were tested. Number one. We're consulting with our allies and partners, and uh, there will be uh, responses if they choose to escalate. Um, we will respond accordingly. But I'm also prepared uh, um, for some form of diplomacy, um, but it has to be conditioned upon the end result of denuclearization. So, uh, um, that's what we're doing right now, consulting with our allies. Now, I don't know if he's just really tired. Britt has here uh, a, a picture that was taken of these talking points. He read them verbatim. And in fact, he messed up the second bullet point, which says, if they choose to escalate, we will respond accordingly. He screwed that up when he was delivering it. Um, he didn't read it properly. But this is, you know, again, I, I, he seems, this is toward the end of the press conference. He seems tired like he can't he can't even focus and uh, he's just kind of lacklusterly reading what's on that page if you're kim jong-un benny are you concerned right now <laughs> no <laughs> we don't have that press conference in a wheelchair i mean uh the the opposite of strength the opposite of intelligence the opposite of um, any sort of threat. I mean, that that's exactly what you get with that. I mean, look at the dichotomy that exists when, uh, when Trump was being crazy and saying, I have a bigger button and all that stuff. I mean, that's <laughs> pretty wild. Uh, but just look at the dichotomy. I mean, it's, it's, it's very stark and it's very terrifying. Here's a, here's a, a cut of uh, Biden talking about China. He's one of the guys like Putin who thinks that autocracy is the wave of the future democracy can't function in an ever an ever complex world the thing that i i admire about dealing with she is he understands he makes no no pretense about not understanding what i'm saying anymore i do him okay so maybe maybe that's why we've been having trouble with biden is because he's been speaking chinese all this whole time rich maybe that's the, maybe that explains it <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not surprised that they get along so well. They're talking right past each other, and neither one knows what the hell the other one's saying. But it, the hallmark of Trump was speaking softly, 
stick. He, he engaged in first-class or world-class trollery with uh, particularly Kim Jong-un, uh, Little Rocket Man. When he met with him, what was it, the second time, he just strolled right on into North Korea, no security, and like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, and it, the Trump was all about diplomacy as well, but he talked tough. It seems as you know, Biden's incapable. Well, it's diplomacy from a position of strength. And Britt, um, speaking exactly. of strength, here, you know, we know that China right now is is making fun of us around the world. China is making a mockery of us. They're using our own woke language that the press is constantly repeating against us. And then we have this. Thirdly, in order to compete effectively, I indicated that we're going to deal with China effectively. The future lies in who can, in fact, own the future. So in order to compete effectively with China, we're going to compete effectively. And the future is, uh, lies in who can own the future. Those are some tough words from Joe Biden for China. Yeah, China don't care. Don't care. Um, I, I'm going to circle back to the press. Um, here's the deal. The press plays a very important role in our system of government. If the press is not being honest and doing their job honestly, uh, holding both sides accountable to what they're doing, our system will fail. The only thing that kept Trump and his people kind of corralled and not going way off the rails is the press was on them like, like hounds on an escaped prisoner. The press is not on Joe Biden. They're covering for him. They're, they're clearing the path for him. It's the only reason why he has a 48% approval rating right now. If the press does not do their job, we are completely screwed. And right now the press is not doing their job. They, they have chosen sides and we, that makes us, me particularly, I have to go to independent journalists on podcasts to get information. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite sad. A couple quick things because we're really at the end of our hour here. Um, this I thought was interesting as well. Successful presidents, better than me, Trump, have been successful in large part because they know how to time what they're doing. Trump. Ben. Uh, successful presidents, better than me, have been successful because they know how to time what they're doing. Is that another way to say, don't let a good crisis go to waste? Uh, absolutely. I think that uh, the the timing will uh, will tell everything in the next few years about what happens to this country under his watch. And here's the last piece I'm going to play from this press conference. Uh, again, the whole thing was, was a scripted theatrical event. The press in there were either completely intellectually dishonest or just a bunch of... Uh, I don't know. Britt had mentioned they're young. So maybe they are a product of a public education system that has ingrained and indoctrinated them with this social uh, ideology. But uh, this was this was something I thought uh, actually points to uh, some problems as well. Hardworking people, people struggling in the middle class. They build America. And unions build them. Why the anger? Could it be mood swings? Could it be mood swings? The difficulty in communication, especially finding the right words to communicate. And we all saw what happened as he walked up the steps to Air Force One. Could that be difficulty with coordination and motor functions? I'm just uh, suggesting here that we may have a lot of problems down the road. And um, I don't know how this plays out. I don't know what's worse. Rich, what's worth one word answer here? President Kamala Harris or President Joe Biden? <laughs> decisions, yeah. decisions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Benny. Yeah, no, ben, I don't know. Benny, I, do you fall on either side of that? I mean, which is worse? 
Uh, they're both terrible. Yeah, they are. Britt, which is worse to you? All I can say is careful what you wish for because it can always get worse. Always. Yeah. Biden is, we know Biden's a known commodity. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight. Uh, Rich, Benny, both of you, thank you so much. Again, we'll have you back for certain. Uh, love your input on this. Thank you to everybody. Thank you to everybody who um, joined us tonight. Please subscribe. Please uh, hit the like button and please share the program with your friends. It's the Independence Game.